Hello and welcome to the Doctor, the Therapist and the Coach podcast with Y01 Radio. Here we are with Angela, Colette and myself, Gemma, bringing to you our very, very first ever podcast at the Y01 Fish Tank Studio. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. Welcome, Colette. Hello, thank you. It's awesome to have you in the studio. And today we are going to talk about decision-making. So do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we had that meeting and we said, right, we're going to do a podcast. Well, here we are, sat in the chairs at Y01 Radio Station, doing our very first podcast, decision-making. If you need help making decisions, we are going to talk about that today. So hopefully going to help you make your decisions about anything. Now, Angela, first of all, decision-making. What does that mean to you? Not a lot when I think about it, to be honest, (laughs) and under pressure. (laughs) So, okay, so Angela is our doctor. Angela is a varied, lots and lots of different ways that you become this doctor, you are this doctor, you Mm -hmm. live being a doctor. And when you come in, we're we're talking about how the essence of of empowerment, I think you said it was, you know, you wanted to do a podcast about empowering people and giving people the, the power to make decisions, about doing something, about moving forward. So in your experience as a doctor what do you come across first and foremost about people not making decisions and then people making decisions does that make sense is that yeah but I think you know you're just saying that Colette's talking about empowering to make a decision I, I what immediately came to my mind is that if you need to make a decision you need all the information and the knowledge the base of your understanding of a problem before you can decide which side of the fence you're going to go with it so yes from a medical perspective, mm-hmm. a lot of my role is about filling in the gaps with people understanding what choices they've got. Yep. And the the benefit, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sat here as the coach, Colette's sat here as a therapist, Angela's sat here as a doctor. And coming together as a triad, I think it was Colette that actually mentioned, you know, you need both of us, I need both of you, and you need, you know, it's, it's, it's a sort of a... I really need a coach. <laughs> But it is, it's quite interesting how the, the whole of the dynamic works. You know, there's everybody goes to the doctor and, you know, the, there's a massive trust in your doctor. You've got a massive trust in your therapist. You've got a massive trust in your coach. We've all got that really sort of element of, of, of being connected with our clients, our patients, our, our, our students, whatever it is that, that, that the role they play. But from a decision-making purpose, and, and if you think about our roles in society, we help people make decisions, mm. right? Mm. Colette, what's your sort of experience with decision-making? Where do you stand on decision-making? I think I find clients come to me wanting decisions made for them. Uh-huh. Um, they don't feel... I don't know if it's um, a socialising from a young age that they don't feel able to make decisions. They feel they need to go to an expert to help them make their decisions. Oh and I think a lot of what I do is I try and under, I'll try and help a client get to a point where they they even know what the question is. <laughs> so so often someone will come in wanting to make a decision about something that they don't even need. That is that isn't the question, or making um, making a kind of a reaction to yesterday's bad choice or to something that's always been, rather than taking a step back and thinking, is this something I I really want to do? Yeah, a, a much much bigger question. Yeah. And and also when when I like the biggest decisions that people make from my perspective, you know, with with coming into the gym or making a big change in their nutrition or whatever it is, 
it's the fear of of what happens if they don't do it and it's the fear of what happens if they do do it so how much of their life is going to change how much of their lifestyle are they going to have to alter is it is it going to be absolutely life-changing or is it going to be very restrictive you know mm-hmm. there's so many elements to making a decision that that people are quite scared of making decisions have you yeah. have you noticed that Angela that people are scared of making the decision even to come to you to speak to you about things I think I don't get to know about that bit that happens before they get to me and there's obviously a lot of people that struggle to get in the door in the first place so I get a free a sort of a a pre-filtered set of people that are motivated enough know how to get through a system have got an idea of the help that they need I was interested listening to what you said Colette about your your clients come in and they don't know what the question is or they're looking to you to give them uh, you know a solution I think that's quite that's not always the case in in general practice or in the menopause clinic there's some patients that come in expecting me to know what's wrong with them and solve the problem and it's much more of a that that sort of dynamic but then there are definitely people that have got quite a clear idea of what they want and they and they don't necessarily want a solution that I might offer to them mm-hmm. so there's there's a a transaction there's something that has to happen in the middle where you're trying to visualize what like you said formulating the question visualize precisely what it is that somebody's asking me to do um and then I suppose we all do the same thing we we all help to lay out the choices look at what each of those visions looks like Mm. you know if you especially with coaching you're going well if I do this we're going to exchange this habit for this end end point um but yeah, it's it's changed in medicine. It shouldn't be the case that I give a solution to a problem and tell someone what they have to do and they go and do it. It should be a much more interactive process. Yeah. Whether it always comes out that way, I don't know. That's my intention. Mm-hmm. And Colette, when when people are making the the sort of the, the step to come and see you, are you interested in the the background of how they make decisions, or is that something that you know you 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 sort of you 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 collate with them is that um well i'm in private practice so if someone's coming to see me they've searched for me and they've you know they've spoken to me and i'm the therapist they're going to see i i guess for me and what i hear a lot and i hear it in the media is oh when it gets that bad when when it gets as bad as it goes to your therapist like somehow that's a magic ball somehow Mm. i've got a wand and i will make you okay yeah um without any input without any I thought that when I I had to do 50 sessions of therapy to do the psychosexual part of of what I do and I genuinely about eight or nine sessions in kind of went well okay so when are you going to tell me what I need to do and when are you going to fix me and I was really disappointed that that's what I was paying for and I I do sometimes say to clients you know it doesn't matter who you see or what you read or what expert you go and see unless you actually make a change yourself and you'll know this Gemma nothing can change no no one's gonna no one's gonna come to your house and and get rid of your hoarding or Mm. or or follow you around and well you might actually Gemma follow, follow you around and take <laughs> the scone out of your hand um, before we came or, in the studio you were hiding your scone I, from I did actually hide my scone and I just wanted to point out that Angela dobbed me in um, <laughs> but, but and, and I guess there has to be some well my husband would use the phrase there has to be some skin in the game you know someone has to have made a decision now because I'm a paid um, a paid therapist I know Gemma you're a paid coach um, and I know that you work for the NHS Angela which might be a bit different but people have already got some skin in the game because they're they're paying me. So that, but but it needs more than that. I, I sometimes think that when someone opens their wallet to pay you, they think they think that's the only 
um, interaction that's needed from them, the only mm. commitment that's needed, and mm. that the, the, there isn't. You have to do the hard thing. You have to do that. make those choices. There's a different dynamic. I'm now, so I do NHS work for three, three-ish or more of my five days in the week that I'm working. And I now do do more of the paid work as well mm. privately, and there is quite a different dynamic. But I suppose I'm giving I'm giving different things whether I want to or not. So mm. I'm con- I'm very constrained by time in general practice. I get ten minutes. I mean I overrun dreadfully, and anyone who's ever seen me as a patient will say that they'll wait a long time, and they sort of know that's because I've given everyone else the time first. But fifteen minutes for a consultation in general practice, I get given thirty minutes in my secondary care menopause sort of you know clinic and those women have waited nine months sometimes to come in and talk but in the paid setting I you know have taken money from these people they've had a um, a pre-assessment questionnaire they've already done some research and started to kind of interact in that change process already and then when they get to see me they've got 50 minutes and they're going to get another bit of time afterwards and I I think the whole dynamic of of what you can do is entirely different now I've Mm. got the same skill set in every position and some of the difference in outcomes is going to be what I'm able to put in but I do think a big chunk of it is like you say that investment in in the time that you know you're going to put into making the change and making a decision and we do so much stuff in medicine that is medicine and I'll give some kind of a cream or a lotion or a you know a pill or something but I think it's really hard for me to sell the stuff that is equally important which is the lifestyle change or the psychological yeah the personal homework Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that, do you have that in therapy? Is that something that, that you give people homework to go and do, that they, even just thinking, your, your, your thinks, your thoughts, I know that you call them thinks, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's, it's the, you know, um, do, you, do you actually give people challenges to go and... It depends. So um, it depends on the type of therapy. So CBT is very much that's cognitive be- cognitive behavioural therapy. It's very much around that. So it's almost like a homework task. Okay. I tend not to do CBT. Um, I I will sometimes offer um, maybe journaling or writing a no send letter to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but but a lot of therapists would say the work happens between the sessions so it's is it's that processing in the week you yeah. know when you're you're going about your day and you think oh actually yeah that that is relevant or I remember mm. that or that I understand that now yeah. um I tend not to give anything to do in the week um or anything not to do actually as well if I've got someone coming in with a habit maybe they don't want anymore it's really not my job to tell them not to do it mm-hmm. but just to be aware so not to be right or wrong or change anything but just be aware of it because so much of what we do we do completely automatically without really thinking about it mm. um, unlike you Gemma I know that um, you always laugh at my completely unused gym at home <laughs> because I come to your gym <laughs> I think you should rent it out I've told you this every <laughs> know, single time we talk about it <laughs> I know um, and you know why don't I just go and skip in my gym or hit my own boxing bag why do I come to you I don't know maybe it's accountability maybe mm. it's um I honestly don't know and I think sometimes those barriers if I was to give someone homework then first of all I'm directing what it is they do in their week okay. which isn't my job um, and it, when you when you direct in one direction you disallow in another okay and I don't think that's my role do you think you also create a reaction I'm just thinking about how that sits you know historically doctors told people what to do and mm. we we are actively trying to move away from that really paternalistic model now yeah. But I still do say to people, I think you should stop smoking or I think you should do more yeah, exercise, you know, and okay. I kind of expect yeah. them to at least consider it. And yeah. 
I was thinking about, you know, the three of us sat here, you're probably the one that is least directive and that's yeah. what surprises people. You're yeah. you're giving them space to figure out their direction. Mm. You know, I haven't come to you yet, Gemma, because I'm scared that you'll hurt me. But <laughs> most I, people <laughs> most people are in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I it, it would be because I would be accountable to you. It would be because you are going to I'm gonna tell you what I want mm. and for myself or for my, my body or whatever else and then when I can't be bothered in in the meantime, I'm going to do it because I'm a bit scared you're going to tell me off. So I and that's exactly work. how it yeah. works. Yeah, that's where I go at 4.30 <laughs> in the morning. That's what I pay him for. <laughs> but that, do you know, that is really interesting that you've got this, um, you know, you, like you were saying, the three absolutely different ends of the triangle. That yeah. somebody, when somebody has made that decision to make not just little changes, because I don't do little changes, I do significant so changes. I'm not coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I mean, I have done little changes in my in my past, but now what you know what really is is gratifying for me as a, as a coach is to make people, you know realize what it is that they are capable of realize their power see their true potential mm. and you know it's 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 it, it's not it doesn't take very much commitment to lose a couple of pounds or to to change um the way that you eat or anything like that but it, it's it's the all-encompassing um mm. you know the the whole shebang of the lifestyle every single aspect of your life when you come to, when you make the decision to come to see me I will tell you exactly what to do. And I just have this expectation that you will then do it. And if you don't, then that's great because then that's what we look at. And that's that's my feedback. Yeah, it's yeah. why haven't you done it? Yeah. If I've told you to do it, why haven't you done it? What's going on there? And and that's from a coaching perspective. You know, you have, it's all outcome based. Mm. There is an outcome. There's a road that you we're on and we want to get to that that point. I know how to get you to that point. So when you don't do what you... We're talking about the scone again, talking, aren't we? We're talking about the scone. <laughs> In my backpack. <laughs> all the outcomes are your own fault. They're like, all my own fault. You're walking towards oh, yeah, them. But, but it's like, you know, I'm going to guess it was a convenience choice. It was. I, was it, it was nice a, and tasty as well. Because that's the choice. <laughs> but that's the thing. And this is about decision making. Colette made a decision today to, to have a scone. And there's nothing wrong with having a scone. <laughs> your face tells me there's something wrong with that. <laughs> I talk about pleasure a lot with people. I think there's a lot of good things with a scone. And it's it's a moment of mind. You weren't mindful though. I was not mindful. You were terrified. In my your defense, pleasure. I actually nipped into Tesco first to try and get something more protein based, but everything looked so awful. Oh really? Yeah. So again, but that is involved in your decision making. Mm. So, and this is, you know, this is why I'm very passionate about a decision making podcast. It's because everybody has to make decisions about something, about anything. Yeah. But with so. In the NHS, with people who don't have the skin in the game, in the sense that they've not paid to come and see me. They may not be particularly invested in the in the decision or in making the change. They're there because they need to be or because someone's told them to be. Yeah. Or I get a lot of my wife made me come or, you know. I get a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> Do I you don't. Get that? No. <laughs> but th so they, they have a resistance. And actually, one of the things, just listening to you guys talking, it, ma it makes me reflect how limited... I am if I don't use I mean I've been taught some psychotherapeutic skills which have come in really handy in my work and that motivational coaching thing would be incredibly useful because I know after doing the therapeutic training I go back into work and I look at people that have high blood pressure and I now see that as a set of choices that they're making rather than a condition I now think well why you know why are you eating the high salts you know processed foods mm. why are you choosing not to exercise what and also underlying that 
it's that thing of there's I can't remember who said it, but someone said we you know if we give um, people medication to take themselves or we give it to give to their pets, they're much more likely to comply with a regimen of medication for someone they're looking after yeah, than they are true. to take it themselves. Yeah. And there's something really interesting in that we are not very good at valuing ourselves yeah. properly, and maybe that's part of the reason that when you do paid um, coaching or paid therapy you've already judged that you're worthwhile enough for that decision to be made or yeah, for that change. That's really true. I, I talk a lot really with my true. patients about the post-it note and if you can imagine everything you've got in your life is written down on your post-it note. So your, your partner, your children, your pets, your work, your leaking that's roof, your garden. panic about the amount of post-it notes <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah. I can see your We can all see your post-it notes. I've got a neat list. Um, but what people don't put on there is themselves. Yeah. And if they do put themselves on there, it's seldom at the top. And what I work with patients to look at is, unless you're at the top, how can everything else sit below you? How, yeah. how, how can that be held? Um, I talk sometimes with my, my clients about, um, about the fact that you can make a decision for anything, like you were saying then, you know, it's, it's a set of choices you've made. But if, if I were to say to someone, you know, that, that's not good for you, let's not do that, let's look at that, then, or amazing, you so talk about drinking, for example, because that's, that's my, my big thing. So, you know, so, someone's been drinking too much, they're not comfortable with that, they come in, they tell me that, we work for a few weeks towards reducing that or stopping it. And I'm really positive, and that's amazing, you're doing really well. Will they come in when they've had a drink? Mm. Will they feel able to tell me that? You know, the, the, the statistics on um, people who lie to their therapists are really quite alarming, and that says a lot about the therapist, because yeah. I need to see all of my, all of my clients, you know, the, all of who they are, and the bits that aren't acceptable in their, in their workplace, in their marriages, in their day-to-day -day life, in nice society all of the bits those kind of shadows of ourselves you know that's really true I think you know when I first started doing my 50 sessions it took me ages not to make my therapist like me I was yeah. just constantly kind of you know the doing the people pleaser and yeah. I think yeah there's a lot of truth in that that comes up a lot in what I do when I'm talking about um sexuality or you know female pleasure or the centrality of sex around you rather than for someone else and I do think it sits really strongly with that and being gendered with it but with that that role of um femininity as being often about providing for other for caring mm. for looking after everybody else's needs mm. and there's an element of of essential selfishness it's that thing they tell when i go to update courses for doctors they often show a slide and say if the plane's going down you have to put the oxygen mask on the person next to you so that you know um sorry on yourself i got that completely <laughs> wrong i was, I was, I was looking at thinking, oh my god it's new <laughs> it's, it's new it's new rules excellent excellent anecdote from me there you need to put it funnily enough on yourself otherwise you right. will die before yep. you can get Got the option you. onto the person next to you <laughs> but yes i understand where you're coming from it's a tired yep. old anecdote which is why i told it wrong but it's also <laughs> it is so Stylishly. not what people do and i again i think that's why decision making my, my sessions sometimes feel like they are more productive i wonder sometimes if i'm um better in that setting but i actually think it's also that pre-selection of the people that have come in to see me mm. their motivation yeah. for coming in yeah and, and i guess my yeah people are pre-selected to see me they're choosing that type of therapy that mm. type of private therapy they can access it they can pay for it mm. that tends to be a certain demographic mm. you know people who are who are ready but i do still get people who will come you know and and that that they just feel there's a magic solution that I am somehow a magic solution it's you know well why is this still happening to me because you're still doing it 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and even that, you know, so um, I was, I think I said it to you before we came in, and I, I was saying sometimes what people don't do is so telling. I had, you yeah. know, had patients where I've prescribed medication and set up a regime, and they'll come in, and it's ages to get back in to see me. It's like, you know, at least 12 to 14 weeks after a first appointment in, in um, secondary care. And so they'll come in and I'll say, so how did you get on with the vaginal estrogens? Oh, I haven't actually opened the packet yet. Yeah, and you think yeah. there's so much in that. You yeah. know, there's, there's a lot that needs to be unpicked. Are you frightened about the medication or, or do you not want sex to get better on mm. some level? And I think that's, you know, I... But I, when you were talking to Emma, I was thinking if I was strong and I told people what they should do in the way that you're able to do yeah. and to give that kind of telling off if somebody doesn't do something, I just get a sea of complaints. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not empowered. To you can do that. complain to Gemma, but she doesn't listen. Yeah, you can do what you want. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's I, I reward effort, and yeah. I think that that that's one of my favourite parts mm. about you know whether you know if, if you've come into a session and you have just tried your best you know whether you've made made a pb or not i couldn't care less what your best ever is it's what your willingness level is yeah. and your willingness level for whether it's coming to the doctor and, and doing what you're telling them to do whether it's it's whether it's making changes with your therapist it's it's the decision that i'm going to be willing that matters to me yeah. more than anything else because willingness makes changes it does and sometimes me i know when i was training someone said to me you know as long as you're willing and able and yeah. I've, I've got clients who'll, who'll turn up and they're not i don't know maybe they're not making as many changes as they might maybe they're not ready to look at that yet and and who am i to say it's interesting angie you said that out of the three of us i'm probably the one the most the most accepting in my work but i'm probably one of the most directive personally you know out, out of my work that won't be by accident, though. That's, that's going to be your yeah, balance. That's, that's my balance. Um, and I think people are often quite surprised by that. They expect, when they meet me personally, they expect me to be all kind of encompassing and accepting and they're a bit surprised when I'm not. Um, but you might, I might have people who come and, and for whatever reason, they're, they're, they're taking a, a more scenic route mm -hmm. around the process. Um, but they come. They come. And they come again. It's been like your time, guys. That's your outcome. Um, and but yeah, that they, they turn up. They're on time every single week. They don't cancel. They don't like me turning up at the gym. You know, I may have a scone in my backpack. Can't possibly confirm that. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'll be at the gym at five o'clock in the morning. So it, it, that tells you as much as you need to know. And it's the willingness that I know that you know. It, it's for me to be a coach and for judge. Two scones. <laughs> <laughs> didn't share either. I was quite hungry. I've got one for you. I have got one for you. But I didn't I give you. it to you. I just did. But the thing is, that in itself is hilarious because I don't care. I, know. I don't care. But you want you to like me. I love you. I know you do. I love you so much. But it's the fact that now we have to talk about this. On air. <laughs> I have to talk about the scones in the backpack on it's air. It's gone really red as well. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the shame is strong. It's a cherry scone. Oh, one for me. Oh. One for you. Oh. I know, I know. So I love I know. the fact that you didn't buy one for me. That's, no, that's, that's because that's love. also love. That's see? love. I you thought know. Angela would have been busy all morning, probably won't have eaten anything. Yeah. probably cycled to Mars and back. 
Um, I, I've been in clinic since six o'clock, so I haven't eaten anything. But I know that you fast and you have like you get up at two in the morning to make food for a village. Um, and, and it's sounding really it's healthy. All true. Yeah, this is true. It is true. Um, and I'm not going to jeopardise that with a scone. I brought you water. You did bring me water. Yeah. I, I was only at my prompting, and and that, that was, was just the doctor prompting. told me to. Yeah. So yeah, you were saying we, we all need each other. We, we do. all need. You know, I, I certainly have people come to me who who aren't best placed with me and I'll always refer them on. Mm. Or people come, or, the, or they're in a part of a process maybe, um, particularly with therapy maybe. It's a bit like when, when toddlers get their legs, you know, and not that I'm saying my class are toddlers, but... Um, and, and you've kind of done the work and it's time to take it forward, take it into day-to-day life. But often how? There's no skills mm, there for doing yeah. that. And that's coaching. That's not therapy. Yeah, that's mm. right. Um, and some and we talk about that got, a lot, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. Mm. And some people have got genuine illnesses, you know, um, kind of who need a prescriber, who need a diagnosis. Who yes. need, and I don't mean psychiatric illnesses. I mean no, medical illnesses. There was, there, it was quite interesting when I used to work um, at the first surgery that I worked at, there was, I, I've always been a slow consultant. I'm, you know, I was talking about this with somebody yesterday that people will put there's a there's a theory that people put cues they'll say something um, and it's that that you you know that's where this the real meat of the consultation is and I think you have to do that to get through your exams and your MRCGP to demonstrate that you're a you know a, a compassionate consultant but then under the pressures that you're in yeah. in the NHS I think lots of people see the cue and go I'm not going there yeah I've got 10 minutes and then they look away from it and I've always been somebody that's gone in and I'm curious and nosy effectively I really want to understand what's making somebody tick but there's definitely clients that there or patients that seek out the quick directive mm-hmm. consultant and I think patients find the doctor that they need and I'm conscious as I say that about the current situation how hard it is to see a doctor so I'm not being flippant about it but um, people will come back when they get what it is that they were seeking and people will find the Mm. kind of person that they need to work with them to get somewhere if they're in a position that they want to genuinely Mm. make a change or they'll come in pay lip service to it and go away. I think that's what I really get from you. You're the the doctor that we used to have that really want to get to know the person as well. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I I had quite. I went I went straight into general practice out of my um, medical training because I want you know I think lots of people sort of think you become a GP because you can't do something else. But I had nice exams. I did well. But I wanted to to do general practice because I think it's um, a really interesting and it's a really it's a, it sounds really cheesy, but it's a very privileged job to get that kind of access to people's lives and, yeah. and to be in that position um but I'm I'm really curious I'm really I'm really interested in and when I used to work in a hospice it was the same thing it was the stories it, it, in we go to nursing homes and do home visits it's kind of what are the pictures on the wall who were these people before yeah. this happened and that's I really like the science and the medicine um but I suppose my choices my decisions have led me to things that are more psychological psychosocial because mm. actually that's the bit that's really interesting is well, why why mm. oh, yeah, I find that interesting <laughs> Who, who were you before this? Yeah. You know, I often, I tend not to work with a diagnosis. Um, I, yeah, don't I don't know, know I don't know many people who have got an alcohol problem who aren't aware of it. Mm. I'm, I'm interested in what, what else there is in that person, mm. what else there is in that life, who, mm. who they were before this, who they were before that script. Um, and, and maybe 
what what in that is of value because I, I think there's too much focusing just on on the bit that's societally negative or or and then and then how do we recover from that how do we move mm. forward with that how do we move forward with that shame as well i'm a big one for not not having good and bad not having shame not having guilt simply saying this is it's like shining a light in the corner mm. yeah now let's shine a light in the corner of what it is you're trying to hide from and we'll name what it is and once we've named it then you know then we know it then, then we can decide what we do with it and and then it's a choice it's a choice moving forward it's not a reaction to yesterday's bad choice which was a reaction to the day before that which was years ago a reaction to someone telling you this is what you should do and no one ever stopped long enough to say do you want to yeah. do you have that right do we have that right oh, obviously I'm, I'm a woman i can only speak for myself as a woman but do do i have that but but do, but do i yes. have <laughs> do i have that right to decide for myself. I saw a little girl in a cake shop, not today, not today, scone. And I was just thought my scone could I have been upgraded to a cake yeah. and it wasn't a cake. <laughs> I was simply passing the shop. I did not in any means go in. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny. And, and her, her mummy was, um, or her, her, the, the, the adult who was with her, was asking her what cake she wanted. And you could see this little girl was really struggling with the choice. And it, and it seemed that it wasn't, that she didn't know what to choose. She was trying to decide what the right thing yeah. to do was. It yeah. wasn't... What, 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 she didn't what want a cake. A that's yeah. that's yeah. what happens a lot in my room, I think, as well. I think it, it's that sort of... We're not able to make a decision properly with checking in with ourselves. Yeah. We're not allowed to check in with ourselves. No, no. So in, 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 in Rogerian therapy, that's an internal loci of evaluation. And that, that thing where you shut all the other noise out and just mm. think, is this what I want? And most people can't answer that. No. Mm. So I, I tend to start from what do you know you don't want? And it can be as simple as I don't like cornflakes or I don't like salmon well, so I don't see you as a therapist <laughs> well, I don't like you do actually because you said you had nice exam results <laughs> the word nice really really bothered me um but you know, it's, it's, it's this idea of if you know what you absolutely don't like then that gives you a clean edge um and you don't have to explain why you don't like it yeah that's an important thing as well as don't it? have that, to justify yeah. it I think, you know, you nailed it with the choices, you know, making decisions is all about seeing all of the choices that you've got and picking one. And, and, you know, for, for me as a, as a coach, when I'm looking at people's choice making um, ability, it's sometimes they don't see that they only see two choices, but in actual fact, there's a hundred choices. Yeah. And I see that a lot. Yeah. Mm. And, and it's, it's like actually opening up taking off the blinkers and going look to the side mm. there's all of these choices and mm. you know you don't there's there's not just one pattern in your brain you can mm. make more and and when when i when i look at i i love making decisions i i'm really i'm not i wouldn't say i was really Jimmy, good you I use the as, magic eight ball yeah exactly and i love making decisions because i have a, an app on my phone that i press and i even bought you a magic, I have eight, ball a magic eight ball for your yes, birthday i do no so far. Have, have you not had? I've got your scone. <laughs> <laughs> I bought Claire a magic eight ball because she's very, very, very good at making decisions, and this makes her even better. But I, but I don't find it easy, and I think I know. I know from my, I just speak from my own life. You know, th there's no big neon sign that goes, "This is the right decision. This is the right way." Yeah. Um. So I'll often mitigate risk. I often won't do things I can't get out of. Yeah. Um. But ultimately, you can never really know if it was the right decision because you didn't do the other thing. Yeah. But don't you think there's also something in that the uncertainty is a valid place to be in like yes. you don't know 
know what the right yeah. thing is to do for a reason. You yeah. just need more information. Yes. That's, but yeah. sometimes you never get enough information. Yeah. So you get the people a bit like Dr. Zeus, you know, stuck in the waiting place mm. yeah, where they're waiting for some, for some divine bolt that was going, it is this way. And ultimately we in a large part are our own authors and we yeah. get to write those pages mm. and if we if we don't be like the, the child in the cake shop shop you know it, it, it she could have just said no thank you or i really would rather have a sandwich or or, or or whatever i mean obviously she's a child so she couldn't do that but as an adult she could maybe say i don't even like cake or i don't even like sandwiches or i that isn't rather than finding herself standing there still thinking you know at 20 or 30 which cake do i want but then that's part of what we teach and again I've got to be careful with not being too gendered but mm. I think that's what that's one of the problem that I can't even speak now one of the problems that we have sometimes or that I see quite a lot working with women is that I think we're schooled into compliance sometimes yeah, and we're schooled absolutely. into scanning the room working out what everybody else needs and then retrofitting what we might need around it and that's yeah. a societal thing it's not you know um and I'm sometimes the first person that's drawn their attention to it, you know, and I didn't do it before I did my therapeutic training. I didn't have a clue. So one of the things I find shocking in medical training, certainly as it was as I went through it, is how medical it is. It's very much about bodies. And if it's about brains, it's about sticking labels on and and diagnoses. Mm. I now look at it much more with what's happened to you up to this point view and then that gives me my my explanation and my sort of framework for what's going on but this is only since I did the training that I did and one of the things I found shocking about doing that and sitting in a room of counsellors training rather than sitting in a room of doctors is the lack of creativity in the way that I'd learned at med school the sort of didactic um you've got to fit things to a label and sticker and and so many of those labels are pejorative and Mm. yeah I I think we should be doing more both of us sitting down and describing a situation and then doing more what you do which is okay which of these things do we think we need to prioritize to change and looking at it that way because yeah. in medicine it's very much you you are hypertensive and I can give you a choice of three medications and I have been told that because you're under 55 it should be this one first and we need the evidence base it's really important but you also have to fit it around the person who's sat in front of you because all yeah. the evidence in the world doesn't tell me about how that's going to work in Gemma's body, in Gemma's life, with Gemma's mm. feelings about, you know, not being yeah. hypertensive, I'm sure. I'm definitely not, I actually. Know. I check it all the time. There you go. <laughs> I can <laughs> tell just by looking at me. <laughs> Thank you. So lack Is of it because of all the water I drink? Lack of scones. But no, I think it's it's one of those, you know, when I'm, when I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm listening to you, Angela, and you, Colette, and I think that, you know, we all whether or not we're a therapist or a doctor or a coach we all have to make decisions and it's the ability and i i i always have this visualization of what shoes those people are standing in as to how they Mm. can make that that decision and sometimes they've got high heels they've got platforms they've got you know trainers they've got barefoot and and depending on what shoes they're standing in on that day at that moment at that time depends on the decision that they make at that exact precise second but they might make a completely different Mm. choice the next day if they're in different Mm. shoes and you know when when we're looking at the the benefits of making decisions and making decisions on on a whole that are going to benefit every single part of our life i think that's where the decision making process becomes quite an exciting process when you've only got proof that you've actually made really good decisions in the past then you look at the ones that worked well for you 
see a common denominator and then try and replicate that going forward mm -hmm. into other decision making, especially when the decisions are, you know, are life changing or quite big decisions. Look at the small decisions that have really worked mm. and then utilize that process for actually going forward and, and making that making yeah. one of those choices i think often if if we can think what's driving us so it is the decision we're making based on um not losing something so so fear of loss are we just holding on because we really don't want to lose something or is it an excitement about gaining something because they're very sex. different drivers do you approach not mm. me personally the <laughs> approach motivations and avoidance motivations yeah. is one of the kind of you know so you have mate guarding behavior you don't want to lose mm. your partner mm. is one motivation um for engaging in sexual intimacy but but also there's all the sort of approach motivations of you're expecting pleasure you're expecting closeness yeah, you might yeah. be expecting an orgasm or, or whatever yeah, there's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, when I was listening, I was thinking again. Though you get you get motivated people who value themselves enough to want to invest in a change for themselves. Both of you as yeah. a coach and therapist. What about those people who don't think that they're worthwhile for yeah. that change? Because yeah. that's one of the that's the difficult thing to work with. Is I get people who make poor choice or they seem to be poor choices from my perspective over and over again, not to value themselves. And how do I connect? Yeah with somebody in that sometimes setting. Sometimes it's the only choice available or or it's, it's a survival choice. You know, we, we tend to feel something, not like the way we feel, do something to make that different. We felt different, it worked, we do it again, it becomes our habit. Um, so m most people, for the most part, don't consciously make choices that are harming them for no reason. You know, it, w when you're standing outside looking at the choices, you think, well, that's probably not the best thing you could be doing. It's giving them something, though, isn't it? But it's giving yeah. them something, yeah. There's something, even if it's just comfort or familiarity or sometimes mm. an excuse, you know. I've, I've worked with people who've maybe got um, a, a substance disorder mm. and substance, or substance use disorder and um, may provoke an argument with a partner in order to give themselves an excuse to, well, if he's going to do that or she's going to do that, then... So it, it looks irrational, mm. but it's not. Mm. It's, 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 you know, it's a perfectly rational way to, 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 to get the outcome that they want. Um, so I think sometimes it's just really addressing what is wanted what those outcomes are but doing it in a non-judgmental way and not from my frame of reference because you know i don't live those lives mm. i don't live in those houses i live in my own house with my own frame of reference um so it's, it's about for me it's about really allowing the time it's interesting angela you were saying that you know you, you don't really have time um in in a gp appointment to, to really listen um, unless you kind of take more than your ten minutes, and I just spill and, over, and you just spill <laughs> over. Um, yeah, I I can I can go several months before someone says something to me, which I think yes, that's it. That's 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 the, really interesting. Yeah. So even with all the time in the world, the actual nugget is yeah, sometimes still, okay. or it's it's almost like people come in sometimes with um, a bit of a backpack full of um, full of everything, full of just your, the the most thing I hear, I guess, when people come because no one knocks on my door because they're having the best day ever. So. Um, is either make it all stop, make mm. it all go away, I don't know what's wrong, everything's wrong. That, that's normally, there's, there's no, I very seldom get someone coming in saying, actually a week last Thursday this happened and this is exactly what I want out of it. Mm. And then it feels like for a few weeks people come in with a backpack full of, I don't know, relationships and stuff and hurts and resentments and, and, and these things get taken out in my office um, week on week on week. And then at the bottom of all of that 
is the thing. And they're not just testing you. We used to have this kind of ticket of admission idea in general practice, you know, so the theory was that the real thing that they really wanted, and this did happen to me once, is the thing that they say as they go out the door. And I had... Yeah, it's true. Door handle. Door handling. Exactly. And and they're testing you. They're working out whether it's okay, whether you're going to handle the really big thing Mm. that they want to do, to talk to you about. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's why it's important not to... not to create barriers when you can create them by being positive Mm. as well as by being negative you know that's really i think that's really interesting that idea that actually if you're an approval seeker and someone gives you approval Mm. that actually then it is really hard to say something that isn't and i do get people say to me so so is that okay is that good is is, is that what you wanted or they'll come in almost like like a tick list of i i did this i did this i've done all those things and um so I don't say anything. Oh, I'm so bad at that. So I try to do the IPM approach to psychosexual medicine, which is much more of a psychoanalytic mm. approach. And it's a very, it's valid approach. And, and I quite like some of the, I did about a year of going to seminars and enjoyed it. But I'd been taught the other approach first. And you're not supposed to come up with solutions. Mm-hmm. And you're not supposed to reassure. Yeah. And I yeah. am not able to not reassure. And I'm not able to not come up with a solution. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and I've got to look at that as a practitioner and work yeah. out why but um i think that's one of my your, favorite your part so of my job is to yeah. absolutely i am the solution provider yeah. yeah and that's why i come to you yeah you know, because i'll come to you and say this isn't working i'm broken i can't lift my leg or yeah. i can't touch my toes or i've you know gained weight lost weight whatever the thing is yeah. and i come to you and i ex- absolutely expect you to tell me what to do yeah. and i will do it but also like there's a power in reassuring i don't know whether mm. it's right or wrong but one of the things that i think is so valuable in what I can bring into to the work I do is it's popping the shame, you know, that whole kind of shame's a boil and it needs lancing. And, yeah. you know, there's something incredibly powerful about being able to normalise, validate, recognise. I absolutely agree. I had a doctor when I was a child and if I was feeling poorly and I went into his room, I was like, oh, I don't feel poorly anymore. Just because I'd sat with him and he was like, you're okay. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine, bye. And it was just that immediate... Total malingerer, Gemma, what were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I had lots of tonsillitis. <laughs> They're not there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, just the fact that he just made it not hurt. Yeah. And it was just because I was yeah. scared that it hurt and all of a sudden it stopped hurting mm. because he said I was okay. And I was like, oh. Okay, I'm fine. Well, I guess my job is to allow it to hurt. <laughs> mm. So, okay. so Which people don't expect. No. Yeah, you're right. Because that's it, true. I, I do the sort of, you know, I'm recognising that it's hurting. That's that's my bit is to sort of say that I can see it because, yeah. you know, the number of people... I did a, um, a webinar the other night about um, sex after cancer and somebody was very tearful at the end of it and it was because even in just sort of doing a slide presentation and not zeroing in on that person's specific experience, I'd named and normalised mm. lots of the emotions that go mm. with it. And we as a society are really bad at not at not doing that. We only highlight success, yeah. um, particularly now with, with social media and things, I yeah, think. For sure. So, OK, um, in reflection of the past 41 minutes, 59 seconds of us being together, talking in this wonderful Y01 studio, what would you say are your top tips to making good decisions? Who's going first? 
Angela's going first. Thank you. I was going to take it from you, actually. I decided. I see. And, yeah. and when we did, when we came up with a name for this, um, you know, for the podcast, the the, the choice of the subject, we yeah. had a pen, didn't we? That we could we point did. at people if it yeah. was yeah. a pointy pen. A pointy pen. Yeah. Um, right. To get it back out. Yeah. So yeah, point the pen at me. Pointy pen. I'll point the pen at me. The pen is pointing at me, and I've now forgotten the question, which is what's the top tip? Well, what's your top tips for helping people make really, really good decisions? I think in order to do that, you have to fully understand the information as it applies to you so yeah. not generic information but as it applies to you in your situation so you in your shoes yeah completely at this time at that moment in this setting in yeah. this context how Perfect. does it look and so that's the doctor the therapist top tip for making decisions allow yourself to not always make the best ones allow yourself to explore allow the outcome yeah and know that you can't know what you didn't know when you didn't know it and yeah. you can't know what the other thing would have been yeah I think my top tip as a the coach is 100% <laughs> screw anything else and just get yourself a magic eight ball because <laughs> if I'm honest with you the last decision that I made was on Sunday and it was to not do a run that was in a weather yes. warning yes. major like it was one of these really crazy this was a difficult decision obs- it was a very, it well was, it wasn't just I my decision I and said don't run yeah, yeah many people and there was there was three you of were, us you involved were still going to. and yeah. So the decision we made was to not actually do it because the I'd done it a couple of times Starbucks before. Told you not to run. The lady from Starbucks heard the conversation, went, "Don't do it," yeah. and I was like, "Okay, we've got to consult the magic eight ball." Mm-hmm. So you know, for me, but genuinely as a coach, I would really say that it's um, it's doing something that coincides with what you actually want and when you actually look at a decision if you're going to make and it's any decision whether it's a quick decision i.e what you have for lunch or what you know what mm. you're going to drink that night or <laughs> it's gone back to the scone <laughs> eat the scone my advice is in life eat the scone, scone and your scone be everyone. mindful when you're eating it and enjoy the pleasure of the scone thank you and the question is is this going to help me get what i want that's the yeah. way that i make i help make decisions you just and completely ruined the scone then didn't you is <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is if colette wants to not feel hungry at that moment in time yeah. is the scone going to help that moment it yes did. is that more powerful than what she wants to achieve in months time maybe i don't know but it's all about is for me mm. it's about is this decision that i'm going to make right now going to help me get what i want the decision that i made on sunday to not run in the run that i've been training for for the past six seven eight nine whatever months it is um was because if i get injured and it is the the risk was too high if i got injured then i wouldn't be able to coach i wouldn't be able to train i would um, my life would be very very different mm. and for a you know a sunday afternoon run that wasn't even mm. you know of massive importance the risk was just too much mm. so it was calculated and it wasn't going to help me get what i actually want which is health fitness well-being uh, and that's obviously that was all that calculation went into the interpretation yeah. of the magic eight ball oh, i don't believe yes. it's the ball itself but you've not met the ball i'm a scientist so I think as well, it's, it's always, I'm going to come, come in at the end like I always do, I'm the therapist. Um, it's really important to right-size a decision. Decisions can get much, much bigger than yeah. they need to be. You know, the, 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 the fear of not making a decision becomes bigger than the thing you're deciding. Yeah. Um, so it, it can be worth just kind of right-sizing it, taking a breath, giving it a day. I often say to people, give it a day. If you don't know what to do, give it a day. Yeah. But just being aware that it's, it's one choice. It's Ladies, and life is a series. It has been an absolute pleasure. This has been the doctor, the therapist, and the coach, and Wire One Radio.